Hey there, everyone. You're listening to the Wrestling with Film podcast. I'm your host, Bentley. And I'm your host, Will. All right. We're going to be starting things off with a review of the August 29th TWE show. And then we're going to be discussing the 1995 Best Picture winner, Braveheart, and the 1995 Worst Picture winner, Showgirls. Both of these movies are so beautiful. (laughs) We're going to have a good discussion about these, especially Showgirls. And then we're going to be wrapping things up with wrestling news all across the world. Stay tuned. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. Let's go ahead and jump into the TWE review for their August 29th show. Absolutely. I think this was an amazing show for a multitude of reasons. Absolutely. The commentary was especially good for that show. It was really good. And did you see how handsome the two guys were? Absolutely stunning stallions at that commentary table. I was taken aback so many times. Absolutely. I, I would just look at the commentators and be like, mm, they can get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In case it's not painfully obvious, uh, we did commentary for this week's episode of TWE, and it was absolutely amazing to have that honor and privilege to do so. Absolutely. Getting to make our live commentary debut, especially for not just for an indie show, but for an indie show that's literally in our backyard that we already frequent was definitely an amazing moment. It may be one of the highlights of my year to be able to do that. Um, The faith that they showed in us to allow us to do it was absolutely stunning. They immediately made us feel like part of the team. We got to speak with all the wrestlers beforehand, talk to them, and I feel like, you know, make at least a couple of new friends just from us being there as much as we were this time. Absolutely. It was definitely a blast. And the show itself was really good, too. It was really good. And figure we can just go ahead and cover that, if you'd like. Might as well. (laughs) Go ahead and start things off with our opening contest. So our opening match was local favorite, the coach Cody Manhorn, versus... Rob Killjoy, one-fourth of the Ugly Ducklings. That was an incredible match. As soon as I saw they announced it, I knew that everybody was going to go absolutely wild for it because I'd say those are probably two of the fan favorites. Oh, yeah. And just having the balls to book Squat versus Quack. That was, we've been asking for Squat versus Quack ever since Cody showed up. Yeah, literally from his first match when I saw how over he was, I was like, oh, y'all want to make everyone go wild? Do squat versus quack. Everyone's going to (laughs) go poor screaming. Yeah, and it worked. You know, they had an absolute blast in the ring. It was so hard for us to do commentary because we were both laughing so hard during the opening of it. Oh, for sure. There was several points when, and you can tell if you listen back to it, we both just go very quiet and I'm sure the mic picked up stifled laughter because (laughs) I will never not laugh at Cody Manhorn challenging his opponent to a squat off or just trying to teach them how to do squats (laughs) which was this case where Rob Kiljoy very confused on how to perform a squat (laughs) but that's what the coach is for yeah he coaches people in their squats uh a really good match. Cody Manhorn is always impressing me. Rob Killjoy is phenomenal. 
Like I really love every is. time I see him. And so, um, so two of our favorite guys that constantly impress us. I, it was a solid match, you know, and honestly, I'm, it could have gone either way. Rob ended up getting the win during that match, but it was great. It was such a great match and it really set the tone for the rest of the day it really did sad to see cody not get the win i'll always root for my boy but (laughs) tremendous match nonetheless oh yeah and then our next match was bailey blake versus our boy the paragon of virtue jake murphy that's right baby boy jake (laughs) taking on bailey blake giving us a little taste of their tag team title match at seven years strong which will be in two weeks make sure to be there yes that's gonna be an absolutely amazing show that card is absolutely stacked as well absolutely but that was a really good match every time i see bailey blake i get more and more impressed Mm -hmm. like just from how well he can connect to the crowd as soon as he pops out of the curtain to his selling which was on full display for this match that boy can sell and i think the coolest thing about him is that when we came in was the end of his heel run because he was partnered up with the manager uh the king uh, Roger and he has now become a face because he's against Roger and Roger is a dastardly manager and Jake and Lutha X have been partnered up with the King now and watching him change the tide from being people pretty uncertain about him when he first showed up after he he turned uh, face uh, to now being fully behind him in this feud is amazing. He's so good. That that may be my most anticipated match for Seven Years Strong is the tag title match. Oh yeah, that's going to be absolutely amazing. You know, because uh, Carson Dilbeck is Bailey's partner, and Carson's done really well uh, in his first couple of matches. So that's really exciting. And then of course Lutha and Jake are phenomenal every single time. Absolutely. I'm hoping that they'll stick around as a tag team even after the storyline, just because they work so well together it's a great dynamic because jake is a little bit of a high flyer he's got that leaner you know faster uh body and then lutha is a you know a brawler you know that he'll pick you up and slam you like nobody's business those little like upper back forearm shots that he does always look so good and painful oh yeah because you can just hear the thud every time just like echo out through the arena (laughs) it's like it's bouncing through their chest cavity and then through the arena but yeah no jake uh ended up getting the win for that one Uh, again hard fought match i think they're doing a great job storytelling wise with that rivalry absolutely especially with roger coming back and then beating down on bailey and forcing him to bow yeah that was really good. And the cherry on top. Luther stole that lady's purse again. <laughs> I love it so much. I love That was also something that we just went quiet because we were both laughing as soon <laughs> as he snatched it. Every time it happens, like it gets like, I know he's going to do it. And I still love it every single time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> and then the next match, the last match before intermission was our boy Graham Bell versus Caleb Courageous, who I had never seen before. He was the... Death Metal Daredevil. Death death Metal Daredevil. Uh, I had never heard of Caleb Courageous before this match. My introduction to him was just them announcing the match and then, of course, seeing him wrestle Graham. I was pretty impressed. He was pretty good. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the coolest things, and we found this out when we were talking to him before the show, he was trained by Devon Dudley. Yeah, and it's which is a it's great not, pedigree to have 
And it's not often that, especially around here, that you get a lot of those guys that have been trained by someone as big in the industry as Devon Dudley, obviously one half of the Dudley boys, one of the biggest tag teams in all of wrestling. I thought it was a really good match. Again, I love Graham. Graham, Graham is, is so fantastic. That's a, that's another match that we had to uh, be quiet because of the way he was just roasting people in the audience and also uh, roasting And people. us. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> there was a moment where he did one of his kicks, and his kicks are so vicious. Like, honestly, whenever the August 29th episode is out on IWTV, we're going to share it, of course, but watch it. Sign up for IWTV. Do, this, do the free trial. Do whatever it takes to watch it. And listen to the kicks that Graham Bell delivers. They are vicious. And where we were sitting today, or sitting when we were, were doing commentary, was a bit closer than we usually are. It was like at a different angle. So we could literally like hear... <laughs> And almost feel the kicks he was doing. I remember there was one that he gave to the guy and like it hurt me. Like I remember scrunching up and that's when he made fun of us. <laughs> yeah. I think he saw us reacting and then just went after us. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I haven't said it on commentary. I was like, I can't take those kicks. I'll just fade to dust. <laughs> He is absolutely fantastic. So they set up after Graham Bell beat Caleb Courageous. Rob Killjoy came out and jumped him with his own bazooka to set up a rematch at Seven Years Strong. That's right. And that's going to be great. Because they already went hard in their first match. So I can't wait to see what they're going to bust out to try to top their first match. And especially with it being such a big event like Seven Years Strong. Mm -hmm. they, They have to go crazy on it. Like I'm super excited for that match. And then we had our intermission uh, after Graham got that win. And then we had a nice little segment where they were setting up uh, Trevor Eon and Jaden Newman's match at Seven Years Strong. There's not really a whole bunch to talk about on it other than Jaden got hit with a goth plex through the table. Oh, he ate that. Yeah, like that was... And just how nonchalantly Trevor just casually takes off his jacket and just slams him. Yeah, I really, really like Trevor. I think we've only seen him wrestle once, right? Like a full match? We've seen him wrestle once, but that was now the third, I guess, appearance at TWE that we've seen of him. Yeah. And he's fantastic. He is a fully realized character, and I love it. You know, the original gothic gangster... They don't call him that for nothing. Yeah, super, super good. I'm really looking forward to that match. I can only imagine with the history that they have that they probably have been training and working on a match the entire time they've been building this up. I wouldn't be surprised because we know both Jaden and Trevor can wrestle circles around half the dudes that are even in WWE nowadays. Yeah. So it's going to be real interesting to see what kind of magic they make at Seven Years Strong. Okay. And then the next match that we had was Adam Priest versus Cole, the conspiracist. I really liked what they did with it because Adam Priest came out with a chip on his shoulder about being told that he didn't uh, deserve his spot at the SCI Invitational. He earned it. Yeah. He beat Aaron Wade. Yeah. And then issues a challenge. Cole, the conspiracist, comes out. Adam destroys him and then picks up the mic and goes, as I was saying. <laughs> it was so 
good. <laughs> and then Aaron Wade came out for a beatdown. They cut some promos on each other. And Aaron Wade wants a match at seven years strong. And I feel like, I don't know if I should say this, but I feel like it needs to be said. Aaron, next time you wear a suit, don't borrow your dad's suit. Get one for yourself that actually fits you, sir. Okay, so the shirt and pants were okay. The jacket... The jacket's what killed it. <laughs> like when he took the jacket off, I'm like, okay, this is fine. <laughs> but i mean he, he's a young guy like he, he's a he's a young little kid and he's he's great talent he's really good in the ring he just something he just looked really goofy and i couldn't take him seriously whenever he was yelling at adam priest yeah i feel like he's gonna be well molded and shaped to be something amazing he's definitely gonna go far because the fact that he's already at the level that he's at at this young of an age i mean he can literally only go up from here and he's already yeah. gone pretty far up oh yeah he he seems to genuinely love the sport and love the principles and idea behind it. So it's really good seeing that. And then our main event was Brett Eisen versus Orion Bishop. And I've got to say this. We, of course, love Brett, the human shotgun Eisen. He has we no do. other nicknames. But no, Orion no. Bishop really impressed me. Yeah, I definitely want to see them bring this guy back. He was good. He was really good. Like, I honestly just assumed it was going to be just like a little filler title match before seven years strong but no orion a got some good moves in but had really good chemistry with brett did a, especially for his debut did a pretty good job at getting the crowd to boo him yeah i i thought he brought the heat really well you know, if i'm not mistaken he's hasn't been wrestling terribly long like really was, yeah like i think i saw i found him on twitter and we ended up following him but his twitter is only like a year old he may be relatively greenish i mean yeah. if so then that makes him even more impressive yeah i mean he did really like this is a a, a storyline that i would love to see and kind of tying into that the match had no finish because Derek Neal ran out and interrupted. No, I thought Brett pinned him. Oh, he did. That's right. Oh, that's Brett right. Did pin him. That's right. My apologies. Brett Brett did pin him, and then Derek Neal came out. I thought Derek Neal came out uh, beforehand and interrupted the match. Uh, no, Derek Neal came out right after Brett pinned him and beat him up. Yeah. Then he was posing over Brett's corpse with both, both the WWE and New South belt. And so, like honestly, after the Derek Neal storyline is over with Brett Eisen. I would love to see Orion come back. Absolutely. I want to see Orion match up with some of the other people on the roster. He, he's a good find. He's a good get. I don't know how Jaden found out about him. Because I don't know if even you knew about him. I had never heard of him before that yeah. show. And he really, really impressed us. So hopefully that'll be back. And then, like we said, in two weeks, less than two weeks now, actually, by the time the episode goes up, seven years strong, the big event of the year. Yeah, we've got Jaden Newman versus Trevor, Brett Eisen versus Derek Neal, too. Aaron Wade versus Adam Priest too, potentially. Because yeah. that one I know wasn't officially announced yet. Yeah. And, and then, then, of course, Graham Bell versus Rob Kiljoy. Jake and Lutha versus Carson Dilbeck and the Tinder Titan Bailey Blake. Yep. like, And that's just what we know about right now. And they always surprise us with new matches leading up to it. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised to see potentially another future showcase qualifying match in there. Oh, yeah. And it's really, right now, there's so much amazing wrestling happening, big events, that it's a little difficult for me to keep them separate because the Future Showcase has a lot of really exciting things announced for it as well. And I don't want to get too far ahead of us, you know, for the Future Showcase. It's definitely happening, I think, October 3rd? I believe. 
October 3rd. We'll double check that if we're wrong. But, you know, I think that's going to be a really big moment. And that may even set up some storylines as well because they're, they're doing a double header with the um, future showcase and TWE right afterward. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be really exciting. But once again, TWE pulls out all the stops. They really impress us once again which we should really stop being surprised by the fact that they're so good. (laughs) I've hit the point where I just expect there to be at the very least a pretty decent show Mm -hmm. because I'm, they've yet to let me down. Yeah. I I only remember one show that we were like, yeah, that was good. But every other show has been, yeah, this is amazing. This is so good. The fact that their last two shows had me walking away saying that may have been their best one I've seen so far. (laughs) That'll just be the catchphrase from here on out. That may be the best one I've seen. So that's that's pretty much everything for TWE. So I think we'll take a quick little break. We're going to jump into our discussion of Showgirls and Braveheart. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm ready to talk about Showgirls. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Let's go ahead and jump into the movie discussion. 1995 Oscar-winning Best Picture, Braveheart, versus 1995 Razzie Worst Picture winner, Showgirls. Uh, I do want to kind of preface this section that Showgirls is an extremely sexual movie, and we will be discussing a number of the uh, sexual situations that unfold. Uh, Also... Uh, just how raunchy it is. So if that is something that makes you uncomfortable, uh, feel free to skip this section. We just want to kind of give you the heads up in case you you had little ones listening. Uh, But we'll go ahead and we'll just go ahead and start jumping into the discussion. Uh, I figure we should start with uh, the better movie, Braveheart. No, I think we should (laughs) save Showgirls for the second portion. Okay. So that's significantly the better movie. (laughs) So... Uh, like what? I bet Braveheart didn't. Did it even win any awards? I don't think so. <laughs> I might have gotten them mixed up. Braveheart may have been the Razzie winner, and Showgirls was Oscar winner. That That's year. how I remember '95 going. <laughs> uh, now, one of the great things about this podcast is that there's oftentimes where we will pick a movie that we do like, or movies that we've seen to discuss them. Other times, like this one. I have never seen Braveheart before, and I remember only seeing like a brief section of Showgirls when I was a teenager. And so to actually be able to sit down and watch both of these movies to be able to discuss was a lot of fun uh, in its own right. And I have to say, Braveheart blew me away for all the awfulness that is Mel Gibson as a human being. Boy, is there a lot of awfulness. There's so much. That dude knows how to act, and that dude knows how to direct. Like, he is so good. And seeing young Mel Gibson made me miss him. Like, how great he can be. No matter how wild he is, especially at that, like, time period in his career, you can't deny that Mel Gibson has a very good mind for the film industry. Yeah. Because Braveheart is really good. I know you said this was your first time watching it, but I had already seen it before, way back in the day, so... To me, it was just kind of brushing up on it, but it's, I forgot just how good the battle scenes are. Oh man. For a movie that is 25 years old now, actually. Yeah. Those battle scenes hold up better than most movies now. 
Well, I think one part about it is that, and again, I don't want to be that curmudgeonly old guy, but when you look at the modern era of blockbuster movies with big battle scenes, 99% of them are CGI crowd. And whenever human beings watch CGI, there is a disconnect. That the movements just aren't right. The scale is not right. There's, the movements aren't right. We're able to detect that there is some something off, something not human with what we're watching. And Braveheart obviously did not do CGI crowds. They had massive amounts of extras and stunt perform going in there with these weapons and doing these stunts. And you can feel it. Like there's a weight to it. There is like real consequence to every movement. Like you can tell like that's an individual who's going for that guy who on not even that but just from like when you see someone try to cut off someone's head and swing their weapon at them like you feel that momentum and especially like whenever someone gets their sword up to block it you feel that the weight weight and the power of those blades hitting and even though like maybe to some people some more picky people the decapitations and limb loss and whatnot are, are hokey to them nowadays but watching these people's legs get sliced off and heads chopped off and stabbed through, like, it was brutal. Like, it really captured the brutality of what I imagine ancient warfare would be like. And the probably the wildest thing, if I'm not mistaken, this is Mel Gibson's second movie he directed. And so... What was the first one? Uh, the first one was The Man Without a Face, which was a couple of years before Braveheart. But he did Braveheart, and then he did uh, Passion of the Christ, Apocalypto, and Hacksaw Ridge. And so... I forgot he did Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, which I haven't seen it, but to give you an idea of how good he is at making movies, Hacksaw Ridge came out like after the last time he said some racist, anti-Semitic stuff, and it still got nominated for Oscars. <laughs> I never did see it. I was part of that dude's funeral, though, Desmond Doss. You were? So, I guess story time. So, I went to elementary school at a very uptight Adventist school, and I forget what grade it was in, but I was part of little Adventist Boy Scouts called Pathfinders. You yeah. And it was some weird thing where we all got roped into being a part of his funeral. Huh. That's a nice, that's an interesting little connection. So whenever that movie did come out, I was like, oh, that's cool. They're making a movie about him. I already <laughs> know all about his life. I have no interest in seeing that. Is is there a funeral scene in it? Like, do you see who it. played you? I never saw Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> I already know enough about that man. I had to write essays about him. We're going to watch it. And if there's a funeral scene, we're going to try and figure out who they cast as you in the funeral uh, procession. <laughs> it better be Michael Sarah. <laughs> but he's standing on his knees to compensate for the height difference. <laughs> But no, like I said, Braveheart really, really surprised me. I, I've long had kind of a love-hate relationship with the Oscars, especially because as I was growing up, the 90s Oscars were always so pretentious and oscar baity, you know, with like the piano and the English patient and whatnot, that I really wasn't sure if Braveheart was going to be a genuinely good movie or if it was just like, oh, that checks all the box. There's famous actor doing an accent it's a period piece and it tells a, a history story you know, a little history lesson for everybody ding 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 oscar for you i feel like it's still kind of like that though to some degree yeah but i mean man was it good like i, I have found myself thinking about it 
over the last uh, couple of days, you know, just little moments of it. It's not a movie that that I think is going to change my perception of anything. It was really interesting because I realized how poor our education system is here. I didn't realize Scotland had their independence. Like I thought they were still, you know, under uh, British rule. So I was like, well, I know how this is going to end. And now like they got it. So good job, Scotland. <laughs> not only did they get their independence, but everybody ate Mel Gibson. <laughs> After drawing and quartering him. Man, that was brutal. Yeah. That movie makes me want to see Mel Gibson make Macbeth. I, I would agree with that. I would 100% agree with that. He's so good. Like I said, you know, I without getting too into it, you know, The Passion of the Christ is a movie that shouldn't appeal to me <laughs> ideologically. Uh, but it's such a great movie. Like, I'm pretty sure that we own it because it's so good. It tells such a compelling story even if you're if you don't believe in god or jesus or buddha or muhammad or anybody you know it is a really great story and wonderfully told you know and apocalypto was so good also i said he really has a knack for these stories and braveheart was on it was so good like it felt it's almost three hours long that is a really long yeah. movie but it did not feel like three hours to me like there's definitely a lot going on and i knew i was watching a movie for a while it feels shorter than showgirls <laughs> and show girls is an hour shorter <laughs> yeah but also at the same time like four hours longer <laughs> like when you're actually measuring the time it's a two-hour movie but when you actually live it like space time continuums and gravity and whatnot slow down time while you're watching showgirls to make it twice as long <laughs> It's just like, it's one of those movies where things kind of make sense, but not really. It makes a lot more sense when you just accept that everyone is bipolar and off their meds and going through really bad manic episodes. I think you, you said to me as you were watching it, I think you texted me and said, it should just be called Manic Panic the Movie. <laughs> it is. But the first 15 minutes of, oh, what was her name? Our poor Nomi. main character. Nomi was her name. Yes, Nomi. Saved by the bell. So the movie starts with Nomi hitchhiking across the highway. And so she gets picked up by the scary looking love child of John Travolta and Jay Leno. <laughs> who tells her, I'm on my way to Vegas. So they're going to Vegas. She keeps on waving around a knife. He he steals her stuff and leaves her there. And that's when she just starts wilding up, beating up people's cars, trying to fight people, only for them to immediately be like, you're my friend, let's go get dinner. Let's take a step back for a moment. One of the reasons that we picked these two movies is that with Mel Gibson's history of awfulness, we thought maybe the tide had changed and maybe people's thoughts would have changed on Braveheart. And we've seen multiple articles and essays that showgirls, you know, didn't get a fair, uh, a fair shake of the stick that it's yes, actually it did. attire and that it's, it's a commentary on the show business. And so we went into it knowing these things, thinking maybe maybe there's more to showgirls than what we initially thought. You know, the reason we avoided all these years is that it just looked awful, you know, horrible stuff. You know, but it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, who was known for having a ton of commentary in his movies. You know, Starship Troopers is Nazis in space and shows how easy it is to bind to propaganda. Robocop is about 
the media and news's obsession with violence. You know, he always has some sort of undercurrent of commentary or satire in what he does. And we went into Showgirls thinking it was that. And pretty much from the beginning, that whole opening scene, I was like, what script is she reading from like what what direction is she getting because she's in a different movie than this other dude she's in a different movie than everybody through the whole movie how about the one dude the guy with dreads that's just like a walking psa oh the 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 guy who tries to hook up with her yeah but then when she's like no he's like sex work is evil yeah i i don't understand so the movie constantly introduces new characters for no reason or follow up as you may she throws up on the girl's car and she's like hey let me go get you some food and she's eating a burger and again she's super sketchy and i i know i saw a thing where Paul Verhoeven apparently said that Nomi has a drug problem and that's why she acts the way she does. You know, there's the reveal at the end with her criminal history and whatnot, but she constantly refuses everything. Every drug that's ever offered, every party that's ever offered, she says no. So that doesn't even make any sense. But she's so wild and out during the whole food thing and then she's at the strip club. Six weeks have gone by since she threw up on the girl's car and she's at the strip club and the owner of the strip club is this shady, horrible man who tells the new girl that she wants to last longer uh, than a week. She's got to perform oral sex on him. And I'm like, oh, that guy's going to get his come up. And, and then later on, he shows up at the show and it's like, oh, you did really great. I'm so proud of you. You know, guess we won't be seeing you back at the Cheetah Club. And then he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I... I don't know what the purpose of this character is. Like, honestly, if you had just moved past him after she quit the Cheetah Club when she got the offer to be a showgirl and he never showed up again, I would have been fine. But for some reason, he showed up along with the MC of the Cheetah Club, you know, to watch her perform as one of 30 dancing girls on the sh- in the show. Like it it's- was, mm, the whole movie's just like a really weird roller coaster. Like, especially when it gets to... So while she's working at the Cheetah Club, she ends up getting this audition. And the guy running the audition is just wilding out well, the wow. whole time. How does she get that audition, though? Oh. <laughs> I forgot about the dude even showing up at the strip club and he's like, I like how you dance. Yeah. Be here at six. Yeah. And then the whole reason he even showed up was that this Crystal Connors, who's apparently a very famous dancer, shows up with Kyle MacLachlan from Twin Peaks and she performs a lap dance on him quite aggressively. Yeah. mm, it's not fun seeing horny Kyle MacLachlan because he just looks because his hair's he looks like Kyle MacLachlan the entire time yeah and so and you can't picture Kyle MacLachlan as like this type of character like I couldn't picture him ever going to a strip club (laughs) let alone him and his girl being so into it and weirdly like competitive almost. Yeah. Which was a recurring theme. The one thing that I don't get that's, it's one of those really weird things where everyone's talking about how great of a dancer Nomi is, you know, Elizabeth Berkeley from saved by the bell, by the way. So this is her moment to, to really uh, shed her teen innocent look. Oh, that's one way to go about it. Yeah. But 
everyone talks about how great of a dancer she is. She's such an amazing dancer. Oh, the best dancer. I can tell that you're a great dancer. She's not. She's really not a good dancer at all. Like that's, it's not dancing. It's wild flailing most of the time. And then if it's not that, then it's just simulated sex. Hmm? It's just really aggressive, angry hip rolling while they make (laughs) uncomfortable, really intense eye contact. (laughs) Like the whole time she's giving Kyle MacLachlan the lap dance, she's dancing on him, but then she keeps on like eyeing at his girlfriend. And it's, it's weird because she's giving her those like, I'm a crackhead in the Waffle House parking lot at 3 a.m. I'm going to jump you. (laughs) He's giving her those eyes. And she's, and the other lady keeps going back and forth. For a minute, she'll be like really into it. And she's like, yeah, this is hot. And then her face will flip to like, I'm mad now. Yeah. And it just going back and forth. It makes no sense. And I'd I say she's probably the character that makes the least sense. So, I mean, out of a movie where no character's motivations or actions make any sense, she definitely makes the least amount of sense. <laughs> I said, and I, I don't get it. And as you mentioned, she gets that audition to be a showgirl and quits the Cheetah Club or whatever it's called. Because of her. Yeah. Because then when the director's just messing with her and he's, it's down to like her and one other girl and he brings out a bucket of ice and he's like, get your nipples hard. Yeah. And he's just sitting there in the crowd watching Nomi and this dude making the exact same faces of yeah. switching between angry and turned on and then, before Nomi just storms out. Yeah, and then the part that really confused me, I assumed at this point that Nomi was not going to get the job at this uh, in this show, which is the same show that Crystal Connors is in, the, the, the mean lady that she doesn't like, her, her arch rival. I assumed at this point she wasn't going to get it and that she's going to be a rival show girl and, you know, climb to fame at a different show. But no, for some reason, Nomi gets a call the next day saying, oh, yeah, no, come on in. Like, I thought it was a whole, like, thing just to humiliate her by Crystal Connors for some weird reason. Like, I don't even really understand why Crystal had such hatred for her <laughs> well it seems like it was but then afterwards she's like ah, i'm done messing with you You want a job yeah like out of nowhere like there, no one's motivations make any sense in this movie whatsoever there's a scene after she's a showgirl it's one of her first opportunities one of the guys comes up to her it's the guy that tells her hey you have this audition comes up and says hey we're doing a convention show it's a thousand dollars for the day you do a little bit of dance she signs some stuff that's it and she goes yeah sure i'll do it well he then says hey i want to introduce you to this very successful businessman he's got a lot of money how about we go back to our place and we can party some clearly insinuating that they're prostitutes is how they're going to treat them. And Nomi's like, no, no, no. She flees the place. She goes and talks to Zach, Kyle McLaughlin's character and says, Hey, this guy did this thing and it's awful. And he goes, you know what? Let me call him right now. He calls him. He's like, send, I think Phil or whatever, send him to the stage right now. And he comes in there and he goes, if I ever hear about you doing some kind of stuff like this again, you're out of here. I will not, not tolerate this kind of shenanigans blah 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 and the gnome is like thanks now we're ready for the show and then he immediately calls the guy back I'm like <laughs> i'm just messing with you pal i'm like <laughs> but that's literally how it goes though yeah like why like like 
if you if I'm supposed to like Kyle McLaughlin's character, that he's supposed to be maybe the one good guy in the shady evil world, why immediately make him evil? Like I don't well, I guess it was supposed to be like a misdirect, but I feel like everyone's character is a misdirect. Everyone because their motivations and even just basic state of mind and emotion flip every like twenty minutes. It it flips like almost every camera angle. <laughs> Like, like the scene where Crystal Connors and Nomi eat dinner or eat lunch at a place. It starts off filled with hatred, and then they bond over eating dog food, which was super weird. Super weird. Uh, then Crystal Connors splashes champagne in her face, and I yes, that's the moment Crystal's like, mm, you know what, we're not friends anymore. And then they leave and go back to practice. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know why. Like, there's so many scenes that exist and you don't know why. Like, that's, that's, I don't know why the whole this. I don't, like, no one is consistent at any point. You know, Nomi ends up hooking up with Kyle McLaughlin. You know, I think he even says something like, you know, I could love you or whatever, which makes his previous statement about like, oh, no, it's cool for you to pimp out the girls even weirder. And then his rivalry with Crystal Connors also flares back up. It's like when she finds out that Nomi slept with him and he goes, uh, are you mad that I slept with her? Or are you mad that I beat you to it? And I'm like, wait, what? Like, how is, how is this, is this a for real rivalry? Cause honestly, one of y'all did a much better job at attempting to seduce her than the other one. And the one that's verbally abusing her, insulting her and demeaning her did not have a great chance, <laughs> to be honest. No. Somehow it comes out that she slept with him, and like the night after she sleeps with him, he tells her about the audition for a new understudy because one of the other showgirls sabotaged the, the current understudy, which again, they don't introduce the fact that there's even an understudy. And I think so it was supposed to be really bad foreshadowing. Yeah, I guess so. Like, because they never introduced the original understudy. Like, I don't think there was like, oh, hey, I'm the understudy for Crystal. Like, there was never a moment. It's just like, oh, threw some pearls on the ground and this girl slipped. We need a new understudy. Nomi, after you just, you know, slept with the manager, you want to go to this one? Which I do want to come clean about something real quick. When I saw Showgirls when I was a teenager, I saw the, the pool scene, which... As years have gone on, I've heard people say, oh, that's an awful scene. That's so stupid. But when I was a teenager, I was like, mm, that's a hot scene because I didn't understand uh, what romance or uh, really erotic anything was. And so for years, I've always thought like, you know what's, you know what's kind of sexy? Swimming with someone, like just you and someone else. You're just in a pool. You just get to be free. You're floating. Like, it's great. Like, that's that's a hot thing to me for some reason. And then I watched the movie and I'm like, oh, it's the pool scene. I remember this being great. And my God, is it bad? It's real bad. It's real bad. Like, like it's really funny that teenage you is like, that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, like as an adult now, I'm, I watched it and I was like, I was like, oh, this, this influenced something that I thought was really attractive and, and super hot. And I go, ooh, I was dumb. I was The whole time dumb. Nomi's just giving him this look that's like the equivalent of the look you get when you look at a dead fish. <laughs> like, like, and again, she gets so super aggressive with everything. Like everything. I, like to the point where I was like, she's going to kill him. <laughs> Like, are we going back to basic instinct? Is that what's going on here? Like, I like, I totally thought it was going to flip and she was actually going to murder him. 
but no, she saves that for later. <laughs> so, like, it, it, again, like, it's so bizarre, every motivation. Like, people don't like each other for them to like each other. At one point, Numi is on stage. She's now not the understudy because Crystal was going to sue her litigation because she slept with, with uh, Zach. And as they're coming off stage... After Crystal tripped her, tripped Nomi on stage and embarrassed her, they're walking down the stairs and Nomi pushes her. And it's like three flights of stairs. It's like, it's a pretty long uh, flight of stairs and she just tumbles all the way down. She's broken her leg. The girl, no, I thought it was her hip. Maybe, maybe it was, yeah, it was her hip. But she's now injured and someone said, what happened? You know, who was behind her? And Nomi goes, I was behind her. I, I don't know what happened. She just slipped. And then the girl who, who uh, sabotaged the other understudy it's like, you know, no, I saw it. She did slip. But the whole time, Nomi's best friend, who has worked in like as a costumer, knows what's going on. She's making eye contact. She's like, I can't believe you do that. She's betrayed her. They have this huge falling out. And she ends up inviting her to this big party that the singer is at that the girl is crazy about. And her best friend's like, nah, or former best friend at this point, is like, no, nah, I'm not going to go. I can't believe you did this that's despicable blah 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 and then they go to the party and it's like congrats nomi you're now the new lead showgirl you did great they do the press release you know like which is verbatim the same one from earlier in the movie and she's at the party and all of a sudden her best friend's now there again why and i don't get it and her friend says i need you to tell me something i need you to tell this to me now and you're like you know maybe she's like you know promise me that it wasn't on purpose or whatever and she goes where's this famous singer that I have the hots for? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Like you just saw her shove a woman down the stairs and injure her and you're mad at her, but now you're not, you're all good now. It's okay. Andrew Carter's here. (laughs) Which kind of like the end of the movie is set up by this moment. So the friend sees Andrew Carter or whatever the guy's, he's a a famous singer in this world, which you don't ever really see him. Like you, there's a couple of posters and it's established that the best friend has the hots from Molly is her name. I believe has the hots from. So they get introduced and the dude's kind of like hitting on and the dude is, kind of hitting on Nomi, but Nomi introduces Molly to him. He's like, hey, this is my friend Molly. She's a huge fan of yours. And he goes, oh, really? Well, let's go get a drink. And so they go off to get a drink. And... Nomi's still at the party, and then completely out of nowhere is an incredibly violent and brutal rape scene. Like, it comes out of nowhere. The Andrew guy rapes Molly with the assistance of his two bodyguards, and Nomi ends up finding Molly, like, stumbling out of a room and bleeding. She's got a a beaten-up face, horribly traumatized. And this is the only time where maybe there's some commentary because they talk about Nomi's like hey are you gonna press charges it's like no like he right now he's in residence at the Palms but next year you be at the Sahara and the year after that you know here with us you know at whatever place they were at you know like we, we can't really do that he makes a lot of money for us just like you make a lot of money for us and she offers to go call the cop and then that's when Colin McLaughlin's like you need to come with me first and it now at this point has her entire rap sheet which he then spells out to her and the audience as her motivations for everything and I don't know if it's supposed to make Nomi look bad like it was weirdly enough stuff that I already just kind of assumed yeah 
Like, then he lays it all out expecting you to be like, oh no, she's a scoundrel. Like she hasn't already basically been partaking in all the stuff she used to do throughout the movie, minus maybe the drugs. Yeah. Like she does coke at one point, like I think after leaving his place. But other than that, like it's been nothing. But he talks about that you know, her father murdered her mom and then killed himself. She was an orphan. She escaped a foster home. She has solicitation charges, possession of crack cocaine, you know, like all this stuff. And then he's like, but we won't tell anybody if you don't tell anybody about this guy. And she just kind of agrees to it. But then later is like, I'm gonna go beat up Andrew Carter. <laughs> Which she does. She, I guess she pretends to be a hooker. I don't know. She puts on like, what looks like like hooker clothes, like your stereotypical 90s movie hooker clothes, goes in there and pulls out a knife, tells him that she'll kill him, and then does a whole bunch of kung fu kicks to him. It it was just really <laughs> weird because she beats him up and is like threatening to kill him and all this, leave, and then is like, I gotta go swing by the hospital real quick. Makes a couple visits, goes to Molly, tells her all about it. Yeah, I beat up the dude for you. It's all good. Deuces. And then swings by... Crystal's uh, hotel room. Yeah, Crystal's room. And it's just like, hey, sorry I pushed you down the stairs. And with the (laughs) motivation flip number 2071, and probably my favorite one, (laughs) she immediately just goes... Nah, it's cool. We all been there. I've done the same thing. <laughs> how do you think I got my gig? I think that's a, the literal line is, how do you think I got my job? It's like, wait, <laughs> like you also shoved a woman down the stairs? I'm just imagining as she falls down the stairs, she knows what's happening and she's like, it's the circle of life. <laughs> It's like, I think we talked about this. People want to make the case. And again, kind of larger picture. People want to make the case for enjoying things that they shouldn't. Like things that are bad or have no meaning. Like Baby Got Back has become a body positive song. And that's why people like it. Oh, it's okay to like Baby Got Back. It's body positive. It's about a dude that likes big butts. That's all it's about. Like it has, it's nothing else. Yeah. I think there's some sort of crowd that wants to like showgirls for some reason. They want to justify it. And they've started saying, oh, well, it's a commentary on the industry and the entertainment business. And maybe it's there, you know, about, you know, Crystal aging out and there's always going to be a younger woman about you know hollywood or the entertainment industry covering up people's heinous acts you know for one another for the the goal of money that they pimp out young women young naive women who don't know any better like there's stuff there but and it's the more interesting stuff you know the the backstage politicking and you know backstabbing that happens those are the interesting parts and they're never followed up on they don't really (laughs) like they'll tease you with it but then they never really steer into it because they're busy having people argue and be friends and argue and argue about being friends <laughs> like it comes like it's so tonally inconsistent if it was pure camp and exploitative still the same movie like it was just over the top campy a girl's rise to the top in the showgirl business like we, we've seen the whole coming from nothing rising to the top you know, story a a dozen times before, a million times. And it would have been fine if it was that. And it would have been fine if it was like a really 
dark look behind the scenes of the entertainment industry or within the sex work industry, like before people were even being sex positive or pro sex workers in general, it could have been a really enlightening look of like, look at the things that these people go through. Look how easy it is for these people to be manipulated and taken advantage of like that. Either one of those movies could have been an interesting movie, but instead we got both of them at the same time, sometimes in the same scene. (laughs) Yeah. It's oh, it's just it's a nightmare. Like, All I can say is, if you haven't seen Showgirls, <laughs> it's on HBO Max. Go check it out. It's a wild time. Like I feel like it's again, it's one of those moments where like pro wrestlers versus zombies. Pro wrestlers versus zombies was clearly the worst film between it and River Darkness. Like the worst made, worst acted, worst production budget. But if you had friends watching it with you, it would have been great. And I almost feel like Showgirls could almost be that like if showgirls you have- has potential for that but i feel like there's so many scenes that are just really awkward and uncomfortable yeah like the the horrible rape scene like the pool huge, scene like the lap dance scene yeah it's so it's so tonally inconsistent like literally it will change tone in the same scene in the same piece of dialogue i really don't know how it was done like i don't know what the directions were you know some people are kind of because molly is consistent throughout the whole movie you know, no molly ma- stops making sense after the first five minutes of her existing <laughs> this woman beat up and threw consistent. up on your car <laughs> But she so, was at least kind of the same character throughout the whole thing. Like, she wasn't... Yeah, kind of. She's just everybody wild and coked out. <laughs> like, she wasn't wildly, you know, yo-yoing around like everybody else was. Not able to understand how to read their scenes and deliver their lines or what to do with their face. But maybe that's... Maybe get some friends together. Like, you know, be prepared for, for a couple of really awkward and uh, depressing scenes. But overall, maybe if you had some friends to watch it with, you can make fun of it. You can riff it or almost Rocky Horror Picture Show it in some regards. It does definitely have Rocky Horror Picture Show potential. Because <laughs> I, I strongly believe Rocky Horror Picture Show was not made to be a bad movie. No. I feel like they thought they were making like, oh, this is some cutting edge musical stuff right here. Like, this is going to change the world. And then everyone's like, oh, this is really campy. They're like, yeah, that's what we were going for. (laughs) And I I think Showgirls falls into the same boat. It does. That just about wraps things up for Braveheart and Showgirls. We're going to take a quick break and then stick with us for some New Japan and WWE news. See you in a moment. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us. So we're going to go ahead and we're just going to jump right into the wrestling news. Will, lead us through it. We're going to, because the saying is first is the worst, let's go ahead and start things off with some payback news. <laughs> payback Over was on good. on the WWE side of things. Payback was actually good. The women's tag match was eh. So I guess we should go ahead and just run through every championship 
that was defended, changed hands. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, the new women's tag champs. I was not for it until the last 30 seconds when Shayna Baszler was choking out both of them at the same time. <laughs> and because there was just so much a that was awesome Shayna Baszler's dope but b the way that she was choking out Bailey but then also had Sasha in the hold and you see Bailey's about to tap and Sasha grabs her hand to keep her from tapping and then their hands slip and Bailey immediately taps out yeah thus Bailey has cost her now both of her belt Sasha has nothing Bailey's still Smackdown women's champion she's fine yeah, which I think so, is a, this from is definitely a, the tipping point for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it is going to be tremendous from a storytelling point of view. I'm very excited to see where this is going to go because it's it's clearly about to boil over. Oh yeah, we had the mm, probably my moment of the night, other than the finish to the main event. The stars aligned. The angels sang out. God deems humanity fit to deserve this gift. Bobby Lashley is your new United States champion. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Bobby Lashley deserves every belt. I want to see him kill Bailey and (laughs) Asuka. (laughs) No. And Nia and Shayna. I want to see him be the tag team champions. And you want to know who his tag team partner is? Who? Biceps. When he gets to WWE, he goes over to AEW, takes their belts too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, y'all do not understand how amazing TNA Bobby Lashley was when he held the King of the Mountain, the X Division, and the World Championship. Right, easily one of the best main event heel runs I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And now that he has the hurt business with MVP and Shelton Benjamin to back him up, there's no reason why they should not hold all the gold. I. I'm very intrigued where they go with this. We are. It looks also like it's on now the finally SmackDown the side of things, I almost forgot Jeff Hardy became Intercontinental Champion. That happened. <laughs> I'm personally not the biggest Jeff Hardy fan. I think Matt Hardy is the superior Hardy. If you need any clarification, go watch the broken Matt Hardy run. That cemented it. So uh, who did Sheamus fight at Payback? Sheamus had a really good match and losing effort to Big E. So that's right. So I didn't get to watch that uh, that match. I did see the picture of Sheamus looking like a 1920s era Irish gangster. So that so you remember when he had the bar fight with Jeff Hardy? Yes. Remember how he had that kind of outfit for that? Yeah. That's his gimmick now. <laughs> and the worst part is he cut so they showed a promo before the match and it's just normal Sheamus. He just has on the outfit so he looks stupid. <laughs> Amos's aesthetic choices have never been the best. I think OG spiky hair lobster head Seamus <laughs> looked dumb. I'm in the vast minority. Mohawk Seamus looked awesome. <laughs> and I know I'm in the minority because literally the second he debuted it, there was a very regular chant for that entire run where people would chant, you look stupid. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, once he starts taking some hits, his mohawk gets messed up because it's very gelled and spiked up. But it's a great aesthetic. (laughs) But their match was very good. I 
I enjoyed it. Big E's getting that singles push finally. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see where the ceiling is for that, but he's been doing great. And I love every time he has a match, he throws his jacket at Corey Graves. <laughs> yeah. But then WWE Championship side of thing. Never mind. I forgot that wasn't de- defended. Randy versus Keith Lee, though. Keith yeah. Lee squashed him in like a little over five minutes. That was really surprising. Looking real great. Dominic and Rey Mysterio versus Seth and Buddy Murphy. Dominic getting the pin on Buddy. Really good match. Dominic getting the win with both of his dad's finishers, hitting the 619 and the frog splash. I I am really impressed with Dominic. Absolutely. He's way better than I expected him to be. But the main event, though, was what really stole the show. Oh, yeah. I love this new Roman Reigns. He is so fantastic. So the whole buildup to the story is it's going to be a triple threat between Roman Reigns, who is now managed by Paul Heyman, his longtime arch rival, but him versus Braun Strowman versus the newly crowned Universal Champion, the Fiend Bray Wyatt. They both signed the contract and they keep telling you throughout the show that Roman Reigns has still not signed the contract for the triple threat. So Fiend and Braun are out there. They're having their singles match. Roman's nowhere to be found until they go for a superplex spot, kind of bust the ring which just have to say MVP of the night, Charles Robinson, who stumbled a bit when it dropped and then fully flung himself over the ropes to oversell. (laughs) But Roman Reigns comes out immediately after signing the contract that's in Paul's hand and just throwing the pen over his shoulders, gets in, beats everyone up, wins the belt, dips, just like his t-shirt said he would. Wrecks everyone and leave. It was so good. That's so good. Him cashing in Roman in the bank. (laughs) Now every single S.H.I.E.L.D. member has had a successful title shot cash in nice i i really like heel roman again as we've talked about numerous times i missed a lot of wrestling and i just knew people hated having roman shoved down their throats but it seems like now like people are like oh oh yeah we like heel roman heel roman's great heel roman's awesome he's so so good chef kiss (laughs) thousands of chef kiss (laughs) but then We're going to jump over to the other side of the planet. New Japan had their summer struggle at Jingu Stadium show. Very big show. The the Jingu Stadium show, first time they've ran there since well, well over a decade. I know that Tetsuya Naito said that he attended their last Jingu Stadium show as a fan, and now he's main eventing it. So I guess we should go ahead and jump to the happy moment. That was a very sad show for me. So this is the one where I think you told me that when you woke up and you saw the news that you literally cried. I cried a little bit. I may have been really manic, but regardless, <laughs> it made me feel happy emotions. Tetsuya Naito defeating that down and dirty scumbag evil to get the IWGP Intercontinental and Heavyweight Championships back. I'll just never not. Mm. Naito winning the heavyweight belt every single time has been like a very emotional moment for me from when he first beat Okada and then lost it immediately and I was like oh well that sucked to winning the double gold tournament and winning it at this year's Wrestle Kingdom which is still to me probably one of the greatest moments in wrestling history and then winning it back from evil was absolutely fantastic 
But it was a really rough and sad show beforehand because all the LIJ boys lost their belts. Hiromu Takahashi. I assumed Hiromu was going to lose the junior heavyweight belt to Taiji Ishimori because they have a incredible chemistry together. If you need any proof, go look at their best of Super Junior Finals match. One of the greatest matches you will ever watch. So, kicks restarting that rivalry. Ishimori gets the belt back. But what really broke my heart was Minoru Suzuki winning the Never Openweight Championship from my boy, Shingo Takagi, the dragon. <laughs> he Shingo, it was to the point where as soon as I saw the rest hand hit the map for the three count and Suzuki's music hit and it sinks in, Shingo just lost his belt after a really good run. I was like, well, this is sad. I wanted him to hold that belt for like five years. <laughs> but now this just means he can go for the heavyweight belt, but then Naito won it because I assumed once all of them lost, I was like, crap, Naito's going to lose too. See, because that's, that's faction momentum's a very real thing in New Japan. If everyone loses, everyone loses. Yeah, that's it's amazing that that was pulled off the way that it was. Absolutely. That was actually, or never mind, I almost forgot. There was one title that didn't change hand at the Jingu Stadium show. Zack Sabre Jr. and Tai Chi, the known as the Dangerous Techers of Suzuki-Gun, retained their heavyweight tag team championships in their rematch against Golden Ace, the team of New Japan juggernaut Hiroshi Tanahashi, and then Kota Ibushi, who's unarguably one of the greatest wrestlers in the world. And if anyone says otherwise, you're, you're just wrong. <laughs> you can't deny that man's skill and talent. And now he's looking so jacked. Like, I feel like him tagging with Tanahashi is like, I look... I'm buff, but I'm too slim. And Tanahashi's got log arms. So now he's catching up. <laughs> That's it's And it's even more surprising, Abushi didn't turn on Tanahashi because they've already been planting the seeds that Abushi's gonna end up turning on Tanahashi and turn heel, because Tanahashi could never be a bad guy. <laughs> Have you seen that smile or his hair? So I love the idea that usually turning on your partner is a bad thing, but I like turning on your bad partner to be a good guy. I think that's just really wholesome and I like. It's like, yeah, I don't like being bad anymore. I want to be a good guy. I would like to see them stick around as a tag team a little bit longer, but a heel Kota Ibushi will be really fun to see, especially because you know once he does turn, Ibushi does this thing when whenever he's beating the crap out of someone, he just gets this very blank expression, almost very serial killer F, and he just starts stomping on your head and neck. So mm -hmm. definitely looking forward to seeing where they go with that. But that was basically it on the wrestling side of things. We've got that super show with NXT coming up to crown the new NXT champion between a four-way Ironman match between Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, and Finn Balor. Weirdly not looking forward to that. I don't want to see anyone with the gold. There's there's a couple I'm okay with, but there's, I don't know. I, I want to care. I was so all in for Carrion. I was so all in for Carrion. And then when he dropped it, the second he vacated, it my mind immediately just went it's grime time <laughs> one of these days we'll get nxt champion cameron grimes <laughs> i hope so <laughs> wait but I think that's about it on the wrestling side of things yeah so we want to thank you all so much for sticking with us for this episode i uh, hope you enjoyed our thoughts on braveheart and showgirls uh, again braveheart Amazing movie, Showgirls Hearts. Phenomenal. <laughs>
So that about does it, everybody. Thank you so much. And stay tuned next week for our first part of our Miranda Gordy interview. Have a nice night. All right. Bye.